chapter 3, verses 22 to 25. All right, read with me aloud. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Let's pray. Father, please speak to our hearts about service and serving, that we don't take it so lightly. And we we realize there is a way to do something back for you. And may we, Lord, never weary, never become weary in well-doing. Only you can give us that strength. We will run out, wear out, burn out, rust out. God, please, open our eyes. May we take very seriously what we're going to hear tonight. Because we're in a battle. This is not just... Serving. This is a race. This is a war for souls, for you, against our flesh, and against our culture. So encourage us tonight and equip us for the long term. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Listen to what God expects of servants. There in those verses, I don't know if you noticed it, he says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. That's pretty hard to obey other people's commandments. It's very hard. We all want to be boss, and we hate it when somebody else tells us what to do. You heard about the the young boy growing up, and he's all angry, and his parents say, what are you going to do when you finish secondary school? He says, I'm going to join the army. Say, why? Because I'm sick and tired of being told what to do. (laughs) Let me tell you. Uh, a lot of Christians have that attitude. They don't want anybody telling them what to do. They want to go to a church where they just come in and they go out and there's no rubbing, no uh, uh, pressure, no nothing. Let me tell you, servants, you're to obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Don't we wish we all had Christian masters, Christian employers, Christian husbands and Christian um, uh, people who are in charge of our life. We wish we did. But you know, Jesus knew and the Apostle Paul knew, no, you're going to have to learn to obey. Another thing that's, that God expects of servants is that we fear displeasing God. Forget about displeasing your boss. Forget about displeasing your employer. You better serve God in fear that you might displease him. And it's very easy to displease God. Just cut corners. Just try to, try to do things just for yourself. Just, just, um, you know, just barely do what's expected. There's a great parable of two uh, two servants, and they both say to each other, we, we, uh, we are on profitable service because we only did what was required of us. We just did what was expected. We didn't do anything more. So fear displeasing God. God expects us that. God expects us to do everything we do heartily, with passion, with our hearts. And you know what it's like when you ask somebody to take the rubbish out. And they go, why can't mom take it out? You know? <laughs> and so dad says, take it out. So he takes it and he kicks it and he throws it against the side and he hopes it falls over and all that stuff. 
That's not hard till he is it. And when we serve God and we do something for God, let me tell you, the devil would love to stir up that bad attitude so that we don't do it with our heart. We do it with a bad attitude. We don't have passion. I like coming to the door and I meet Ruth or Heidi, and I'm telling you, gentlemen, you need to learn to shake hands because Ruth and Heidi can shake a hand, amen? You think that they're delicate little girls that will go like this. No, they grab your hand and they say, glad you're here. Listen, do things with your heart. Do things with joy and with passion. God expects us of that. God expects us to do it as if we're serving the Lord. Did you notice that? Verse 23, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as if you're doing it to the Lord and not unto anybody else. And he says, serve for God's approval and for God's reward, not for loss. You know, you can blow it. You can have a life where you're trying so hard to please God, serve God, serve others, and then the devil come along and just, just, I don't know, pull you completely away and you just throw it all away. Don't do that. Don't do it. Do it just for God's approval. Do it for nothing else except just to say, Lord, I just do this for you. Now, all of that, you would agree, is hard to do. Amen? That is not an easy list. So, and it's always been that way. But but how does God expect us to stay serving? Especially when it is hard to be a servant. As we looked this morning, the life of a servant is the pit. It is not at the top. It is at the bottom. And especially when it's hard, painful, and unrewarding right now. If you don't learn these things, I'm going to show you. There are just six things. If you don't learn these things, you'll become like the waitress who finally had enough of all the pressure, all the complaining, all the disrespect, all the hurtful words she hears every day she goes to work, and the fact she gets no tips, and so she ends up doing this. (laughs) The point being, if you don't learn this, that's how you'll end up in the service for God. Okay? She's only being natural. She's just saying, I'm fed up. So, I want to give some more tests. Here's some more testimonies of some servants in our church. Is there anybody else? We heard from, um, we heard from Brother Darren. We heard from Celine. Does anybody else want to just testify? It is a blessing to serve briefly in church. Anybody want to do that? Mona. <clears throat> Everybody. Somebody else just want to say it's kind of cool being a servant. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
right? You do get spiritual blessings. Anybody else? Uh, Jennifer? <coughs> Yes. It fills the week, doesn't it? Amen. Kathy. Amen. <coughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Amen. Anybody else? This one that it is. Um, I mean, I could talk. I could talk forever. I love doing this. I mean, I've worked for uh, incredible companies, and I've got to do all kinds of crazy things. But this is the best thing I could ever do. Doing what I do. Well, I am very thankful for the many ministries in our church, and we have a lot because I believe the whole church should be doing something, and not everybody can preach. Not everybody can be in the crash. Not everybody can be in the choir. So God has lots of different members in a body, and God has lots of members in a church, each one having a function, and I try to help you find your function. And we talked about lots of ministries this, this uh, morning, but uh, Brother Tony, did you want to talk briefly about 12 Weeks to Freedom? Darren sold it. I mean, uh, he, he did <laughs> He did the best presentation ever, but is there anything that you'd like to say about 12 Weeks to Freedom? You don't have to come up here, but if you want to say something, or you can, uh, just about the ministry of it. Sir. 
Amen. Excellent. Thank God. Hallelujah. Amen. Gives you just what you need. It's a treat. And it's a great honor watching God use Tony and so many people that he's mentored and helped without him even knowing it. He has blessed countless numbers of people. Now, what I put down there is there are seven people who currently are involved, not always, but about most of the time, helping out with the ministry. That doesn't mean that seven is enough. There are more to do. There are plans for, you know, there are desires to do more like going out into more witnessing, door knocking, particularly for the addictions. We need help. So if you've got any desire, we're going to have that this uh, uh, leaflet passed out again if you haven't filled it in, but if you've got a desire to be used of God, that is probably the best ministry to get in because you'll be doing not not hard things, but things that cause you to watch God help people. And there's no greater ministry than watching it help others. So um, I encourage you to get involved, sit in on the program, watch it, and as Darren said, you'll just run out and go get somebody. You've got to come in here and sit down because every Christian can benefit from the 12 weeks of freedom. Discipleship, Paul, tell us about what's so good about that ministry. I needed a doctor is what I needed, yes. <laughs>
It is um, it is that we uh, uh, will put up this again. We will talk about discipleship as a big deal for new Christians and things. Uh, there are 21 people in our church that have done it and are qualified for, to teach it, and that's great. But every Christian, you're supposed to be learning the Bible so that you have an answer. Not just so that you feed yourself and get spiritually fat, but that you... Take the word, and you can give an answer. You can help other people. We have 20, 21 people like that. I'd like that to double that. Now, Children's Church. Now, Elizabeth's not able to be here, but Children's Church is a gift. It is an opportunity for children to learn a lot of things. That sitting in church, I could do my best, but it is accident. You should. You should. Now, don't run out because I'm preaching. But go sit down and listen to her teach, and you'll go, I wish I was a kid again. I wish I could learn these songs. Weren't those songs beautiful this morning? And they're just four words, four letters, you know, L-O-V-E, M-I-N-E, all of the things about the gospel. And it's just priceless. And uh, we have 20 people who help teach or help in different ways. That sounds like a lot, but it's not enough. And really, people who, who, who go in there uh, and sit down will fall in love with the ministry. I encourage you to talk to Elizabeth. Um, and just just try to get in and sit down and say, how can I help? And we will always make more room and more ways to help. But the idea is to learn to teach and influence the next generation. There's also ladies' ministry. Now, Jean is not able to be here. There are lots that we had to skip this morning. But uh, the ladies' ministry needs more ladies who just pull together and just minister to one another. Ladies are are sometimes, um, uh, you know, they're, they're some of the busiest people in the world. But... They need ministering to. 
So I encourage you, take it as a ministry. When, when they have the, uh, uh, the Christmas get together here in just a little over a week from tomorrow, don't go, well, I have to go because it's late. No, go to minister. Go to, and make it your ministry to encourage the people who just barely come in the door and who need to be encouraged. That is part of the ladies' ministry. And that's something I'd like you to encourage. Uh, Eric, are we, uh, how are we doing on our bus and our bus ministry? We could do with more drivers. Amen. You, you'll not hear me complain, but last Sunday, neither John nor Eric were here, so guess who was driving the bus picking up people and pulling stuff out and setting it over there at the Westgate? It was me, because there's just nobody else I could ask. So David Murphy goes and picks up Mick on a Sunday. That is part of the ministry. That is priceless. That helps so that the bus doesn't have to get up Kerry Pike and go pick him up. So bus ministry. That is a ministry, and it just it's going to take sacrifice. And then we got missions. Mona, what do you like about missions? About the ministry? There's only one person doing the missions, and that's you. Wouldn't it be nice to actually sit down and plan out how to make our missions month and our correspondence with our missionaries much more personal and much more part of the roots of our church instead of something that we sort of tack on? Uh, you come along, just don't preach. Anyway, no, being in, in missions ministry, and we do need help, and I, I have to say, I 
Eric is more involved in taking care of those inmates. I've been kind of on the back bench for a while, but um, it is it is great to know that it's an important ministry that we're a part of, and because we see we're part of all these other missionaries that we support, we can't go there. We can send a bit of money. We can appreciate a lot, but um, it, it's so important because it lets you know that your little bit that you're doing is reaching out around the world, Amen. not just the battle fire. And you can be a missionary. You can be a missionary to our neighbors next door. We're on a mission. We're going to go over there and give them the gospel. So that's being a missionary right there. But we do support nine missionaries. It's still nine, isn't it? It's eight. Eight now, sorry. And, um, you know, it's, it's easy. It's an easy uh, ministry to uh, be part of. Um, because all you have to do is remember them in prayer, number one. And they have the same needs and more than what we have here because they don't live in church like we close to this one. Their families are far, far away. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. There could be danger. There's so many things that we do not have to put up with here. So they, we have it easy. Hmm. And if we can't even keep them in our thoughts and prayers, then shame on us. Because, um, shame on me because I don't remember as often as I think should. But then you could always have a desire to go somewhere and be a missionary far, far away. And that's a good thing. We, we'd love to have a missionary or a few young people, old people who can just have a spark to go. And <coughs> we're kind of in a little bubble here. We're safe and we're comfortable. And, you know, everything is right for us. But the majority of the world is lost. That's the truth. Yes. And there is never going to be enough missionaries to reach them all and to make a difference. So I, I beseech you, K-K-J-U, <laughs> that word, that if you if you don't want to get involved in missions, get involved in something. Most of you already are involved in church yeah. or the branch or maybe not. But just even though if you're like me and you felt, I can't, and it, sometimes it's the way I won't, and the Lord has a plan for everybody. Yes. Everybody. So don't don't sit there and say no, I'm not gonna, because God will catch up with you one way or another. Mm. And if you miss the opportunity, you don't take advantage of what is needed to do, then you will miss an opportunity, and you'll miss God's blessing. Mm. And so you don't have to be strong or tough or confident. It's nothing. God loves to take someone that is nothing, and we really are all nothing. Mm. If we think we're something, we're just being prideful, and we're not humbling mm. ourselves. So. Talk to the Lord, let him burden your heart, and that's Thank the Lord, amen. Very good. All right. Let me let me try to get through some of these points. We could talk, we've got another uh, eight mission uh, ministries to talk about, and we're just, I need you to know that each one of these little information cards actually is is uh, has a bunch of people passionate like that, but there's not enough. So I'm asking you, to consider joining with something, even even tonight, I uh, I would encourage you. First thing, once you take your Bible, turn to Psalm thirty-seven, verse four. If you are going to get into a ministry, if you're going to survive at it, if you're going to in, if you're going to uh, stay at it, you're going to have to do six things. Number one, you're going to have to delight in God, not in the ministry. <clears throat> Psalm 37 and verse 4. Now, I have to tell you, I enjoy serving God. I I enjoy 
lot of different things. Uh, but joy and thrill wears out, wears off. And Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight thyself also in the ministry, right? No, delight in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Look back in chapter 34, Psalm 34 and verse 8. <clears throat> you see, we get a job because we get money out of it. We get we, we, we try to do something because there's a benefit for us. But let me tell you, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the ministry is good. Is that what it says? <laughs> oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Go to Psalm 134. <clears throat> Psalm 134 and verse 4. <clears throat> I got Celine's frog in my throat here tonight. <clears> throat> Psalm 134. Four, four. That's not what I want because there's not a four. <laughs> I have no idea which verse I was looking for. We'll just skip that. Let me just say this. The most important thing about your life is not your ministry. It is not your marriage. It's not your children. It's not your job. And it's not your reputation. The most important thing about your life, now that you're born again, is your walk with God. That is what you have to have. If you're going to survive, as a Christian, trying to do something for God without burning out, without blowing out, without self-destructing, if you're going to survive, it will only be because you love God and because every day you wake up and you spend time with Him and He's your strength, He's your joy, because the joy of the Lord will always be your strength. When you serve your husband, when you serve your wife and your family, your boss, your ministry, and you feel yourself burning out, let me tell you, go to Acts chapter 11. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11 and verse 23. Acts eleven twenty-three. This is Barnabas. He goes and he finds a new church, small church up in Antioch, and he looks at it and he says, I, I got something that you need to do, ladies and gentlemen. If you're going to survive, because they weren't part of the Jerusalem church, they were way up about a about 200 or 300 miles north, I forget how far, and there they were, all on their own. They didn't have any apostles up there. They had barely any scriptures. And he says, verse 23, chapter 11, verse 23, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was so glad, but he exhorted them. He urged them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the ministry. No. He said, the thing you got to do is you got to hold on to God. You've got to hold on to your time with God. You can't let anything rob you of your time with God. Happy and thrilled servants in a church, and happy and thrilled servants in life are those who have a consistent walk with God and so love to serve Him. Bitter, angry, nitpicking, hypercritical, used-to-be servants in a church are those that have burned out trying to serve people because they had no walk with God. You can serve and burn out. Tell you what, you cannot love God and burn out. I believe that with all my heart. Secondly, you need to decide who you're going to serve. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Did you know serving is a choice you will make every day of your life? Romans chapter 6, I read it to you this morning, verse 16. Know ye not that to whom... You're forced to serve? Is that what it says? 
No, it puts the onus on us. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Did you know you can serve yourself? You've naturally done that all your life. You can serve the world around you. You can serve the culture around you. You can dress like everyone else. You can get tattoos like everyone else. You can color your hair like everyone else. You can serve the world around you. You can serve the devil. Or you can serve the Savior. You decide. Did you know every day you're making the choice whether you think it or not? You're making a choice. Am I going to serve God or myself? A Christian has to learn to declare Joshua 25. Go to Joshua chapter 25. Joshua judges Ruth. I think it's 24. I wrote down the wrong one. Joshua 24, 15. Yep. <clears throat> Joshua 24, 15. Every day a Christian has to force themselves to make a decision if you're going to stay the course, if you're going to finish the course with joy, serving God, you're going to have to decide who you're going to serve now. Joshua 24, 15 says, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it seem hard, if it seem like it's unreasonable, well, choose you this day whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, talking about the flooded Jordan River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Are you going to serve those gods? But here's Joshua. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You're going to have to decide who you're going to serve. That means actively choosing to do what God wants you to do with your life. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you are anywhere you need, you're going to be making a choice. Are you, when they're telling those off-color jokes, when they're um, uh, doing their thing and you know it's, it's ungodly or whatever and you go along with it, you have chosen to serve them instead of God. You need to actively choose to do what God wants you to do, overruling what anyone else may want or need done. A choice, hey, this kind of choice, this decision for God is only going to get rarer and rarer as we get closer to the end. So please, let our church be the exception not the norm, that we choose who we will serve. I choose to serve the Lord. Psalm 100 verse 2 says this, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Choose to do it. I choose to do it, and I choose to do it with joy. Third, depend on the Spirit of God. Zechariah chapter 4, almost to Matthew. Zechariah chapter 4. How do you stay encouraged, Pastor, when nobody likes your preaching? Now, I know that's not, that's an extreme. Nobody really laughed. I was hoping to get something. But how is it that you keep doing when your heart says, this isn't working? Or when the world says, you're a fool? Or when your flesh says, I give up? How do you do it? Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto... Now this was... Zerubbabel was a rebuilder of Jerusalem before Nehemiah got on the scene. And Zerubbabel was so discouraged, Zerubbabel had attempted to try to rebuild the temple. He didn't even want to try to rebuild the walls. 
And there was a word that came into Zerubbabel by Zechariah the prophet saying, Zerubbabel, whatever's done is not going to be done by might. It's not going to be done by a power. When he says power, he means earthly power. But it will be done by what? By my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. We need to depend more and more on the enabling power of the Spirit of God than we do on our own talents and our giftings and abilities and strengths. If you have any talent, if you can play the guitar, if you can play the piano, let God use it as he sees fit. Amen. Talking to somebody and says, I have a talent for for painting. I said, amen. Use it for God. Amen. But don't depend upon it. Just because you can paint doesn't mean that you're always going to be inspired. Just because you can play doesn't mean that you'll always feel motivated. You're going to have to have and you're going to have to beg God for his help. Amen? If you ever get the privilege of serving God by sitting up in the front and playing the piano, the thing you've got to do before you ever sit down on that piano bench is beg God to help you so you're a blessing. If you ever get to to help out in, in, in children's church or you get into helping in any aspect of a ministry anywhere in our church, you can't do it on your own. You're going to have to get onto your knees and you're going to have to beg God like a baby. You're going to have to beg God like a broken vessel saying, God, I can't do it anymore. I need your spirit. That's the only way you do it. Because if you start there, God says, now I'll help you. Now I'll help you. Because it's not by your might or by your, your strength and by your power. You know, the Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit is more than just strength. We think of, you know, Superman. We think of people who have superhuman hands. That's not the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is a strength of patience in suffering. The power of the Holy Spirit is endurance for the long haul. The power of the Holy Spirit is joy in the midst of total loss. The power of the Holy Spirit is giving when you seem to have nothing to give. The power of the Holy Spirit is success when every attempt you make ends in failure. Romans 8.28 was written for you to know that God will enable you when you have nothing to show for it. All things work together for good. Who's the one working it all out? The Spirit of God. And you're going to have to learn to depend upon the Spirit of God. Let me... Uh, give you an example. Did you know that everything Jesus did, he did not do as God. He did as a man. Totally dependent upon the Spirit of God. When he took the blows from those Roman soldiers, he took it not as a man because a man would have died. A man would have cried out. A man would have reacted. But he reacted by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Let me read for you Luke 14, Luke 4, after coming out of being tempted by the devil, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of him through all the regions round about. Now, I, I mean, he went much further than you and I ever will. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he walked on water. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he touched the blinded eyes. In the power of the Holy Spirit, not his own deity, even though he had it, He is a man, taught us what the Holy Spirit can do with a yielded vessel. That's why he did it. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and then you will be witnesses unto me. 
First Corinthians 2, 4 says, Paul says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was with demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Psalm 92, quickly go back to Psalm 92. King David, coming out of the field, Psalm 92. King David coming out of the field, surprised as one or two of his older brothers come to him and says, you got to get in here, Samuel's not going to let us eat until you come in. So he comes in, he smells of dew and sheep. And he comes in and there's Samuel and Samuel, as soon as young David, David, 17, 18 years old, he comes into the room, Samuel stands like, like royalty has come in. He approaches him, he says, kneel, David. David goes down on his knees and Samuel pours an oil or a container, what we would call it, of, of oil all over him and it just douses him top to bottom. He says, this is the king. And this was a symbol. The oil had no magical powers, but this was a symbol that God anointed him and God was going to enable him to be the king of Israel. And you know, David, a little bit later, seven years later, he's anointed at 17. It took him another seven years before the entire nation of Israel got together and they again anointed David to be king. There he was. He's 24, 25 years old, maybe 26. And he bows his head again, and Samuel pours that oil all over him. And in front of everybody, they're shouting, praise God, God save the king. It was a great day. And David says, I've been anointed with oil. Again, I want you to see Psalm 92. Guess what he cries out for? Psalm 90, what did I tell you? Psalm 92, verse 10. But my horn shalt thou exhort like the horn of a unicorn. He's talking about my strength. But I shall be anointed with what? I need some fresh oil. I need God to give me some help again today and then tomorrow. He couldn't ask for Samuel to come keep putting oil on him, but he did need God to keep filling him with the Holy Spirit and keep helping him every single day of his life. Fourthly, determined to be easy to be entreated about sin. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. God gives us a couple of indicator lights to our life that help us know, whoo, I'm backslid. <laughs> wow, I've got off the rails. And one of the ways you know that you're on a collision course, a crash course for ruin, is a hard heart about sin in your life. James chapter 3, verse 14. But if ye have bitter Envying and strife in your hearts. Glory not. Don't boast or brag and lie not against the truth. Don't try to deny it. This kind of wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly. Look at these words. Sensual. What's the next one? All right. Bitter, envying, strife is of the devil. For where envying and strife is... When do you have envy and strife? It's when co-workers and people just don't get along and they become upset at each other. They blow up at each other. They, 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 they compare each other with each other. They don't like each other. Wow. Where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. We'd say every sin. Verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first what? Then peaceable 
gentle, and I love these next words, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Sin will drain your joy and your energies when you try to serve God. Sin always hardens us. I don't care if you just a little sin. I don't care if you just walk. And I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. Don't get the wrong idea. Oh, I sinned this week. Of course you did. You're a living, breathing, walking sinner. You're going to struggle with something every day of your life. It may not be outwardly. It may not be something you're even aware of. But let me tell you, if you have something and it is habitual, it is holding you, and you let it stay in your life, if I regard any iniquity in my heart, which means I protect it, I love it, I don't want anybody to remove it, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me, the Bible says. Because what I'm doing is I'm allowing it to harden me. Hebrews 12.1 says, seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, people watching us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. I think of a tightrope walker. Some of the most stupid people on the planet. And there they are, they're walking on that rope. And they're, they're, they, they got this thing. Now, the one reason why they're able to do that is because they have control of their balance. But if they were carrying buckets of, of puppies, and those puppies are squirming the whole time, and he's pulling this way, and another one's pulling that way. Those things are not under his control. Neither is your sin, by the way. And when you're trying to stay the narrow way, trying to follow the Lord, and sin will easily pull you down. It will easily beset you. And you're going to have to put it away. And the, the, the statement is this. You need to be easy to be entreated, which means easy to deal with sin in your own life. God gives, oh, um, uh, if you are quick to admit and repent of sin that hides in your heart, God will do marvelous things. Look at 2 Timothy 2.21. You go back to the left. 2 Timothy 2.21. God will, God cannot use you when you are, are backed up. When there are sins from weeks, months, years back, and I'm not talking about hurts. How many have been hurt in the last month by other people, by other Christians? Come on, you all ought to have your hand up. Hurts don't stop the blessings of God. They don't. De- they don't um, um, uh, unplug the power of God. It's not the hurts. It's the reaction. It's the sin that we hold on to. The bitterness. Watch this. Second uh, Timothy 2.21, if a man therefore shall what? Purge himself from these sins, then he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet, ready for the master's use. And just by getting rid of sin, just by hearing a preacher preach on your sin, and you go, he's right, instead of, oh, I don't like him. Whatever it is, whatever is said, you're reading the Bible and God grips your heart and you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, that's me. The Bible says you'll be prepared unto every good work. You'll always be ready. Sin will not have dominion over you at that point. Stay easy to be entreated, which means nobody should ever have to, you know, yell and argue. Just speak Lord, 
for thy servant here. If, if, if you want to deal with me, deal, and I want to be easy to be dealt with. Fifthly, stay demoted. How many of you know what demoted means? How many of you love that word? It's not a good word, but it is priceless for the Christian. 1 Peter 5.5, 5. 1 Peter 5.5. 5. 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you. And he's talking about in the Christian realm, not just to your elders at home, but to your, to the elder in its Christian church. Yea, all of you, Christians, especially young men, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with pride. Is that what it says? We know how to clothe ourselves with pride, don't we? It says, be clothed with humility. Why? Because God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. God's grace, God gives grace, enablement. He gives help only to a servant that willingly subjects himself to God-ordained authorities in their life. That goes for teenagers. That goes for wives. It goes for husbands and ministers in a church. Paul cried out. He had a thorn in his flesh. Whatever disaster was happening in his life, he begged God to take it away. And the Lord said, eh, eh. And the Lord said, and David, Paul said, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. What is wrong here, Lord? I'm believing in faith. I'm claiming it in Jesus' name. Take this away from me. And the Lord Jesus said a second time, eh, eh. Three times Paul went to Jesus and said, yeah, God, I can't take this anymore. And the Lord says, yes, you can. My what? My grace is more than sufficient for whatever you're going through. If that's true, then his grace at my humility, I can't get access to his grace unless I stay demoted, unless I stay where God puts me, even though others seem to succeed and go ahead. I mean, if we actually talked like we felt, we would be embarrassed. When we compare ourselves with people who have the ability to buy new cars, when people seem to have all of their ducks in a row, when people have everything they ask for, they dream for, they want, and we're still trying to count our pennies that we found in the couch. And you feel this small. You know what the Lord says? Stay that small. Because that's the only way to stay sane, and to finish with joy. Stay demoted. Serving will always be below you. It will always be below you. I wish I could take you to the verses. Go to, I'll take you to one. Uh, Revela- uh, sorry, Romans chapter 12. You know the scripture. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living success story. I can write a book. I can tell you how to make millions. No, that's not what he said, is it? He said a living sacrifice. Holy. Wow, that's some work. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, what's the word? There's our servant word. All right. Yield your life. That's why God gave us a church. To keep us humble. <laughs> We've, there will never be a perfect church in Bowling College. 
God brings Eric's insulins together. And believe me, nitro and glycerin. Okay? <laughs> Sometimes Tony and I, we just sit back and we just go, no, no. How is this going to go? Let me just tell you, that's what God does. He puts us together to humble us and to keep us aware that we're just real. We are precious. We got to love one another, get along with one another, and be a blessing. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. You don't get to choose who you love now. Now. And a church is a soil for Christians to grow safely in preparation for the battles outside. So that's why the Bible says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, because there is a battle out there, and you're not ready for it until you've learned how to love one another and live as a servant here. Lastly, Desire the best rewards. Go to Galatians, to the right, Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for instantly we shall reap. Is that what it says? No, when Paul wrote this, there were no microwave ovens. There was not just add water. In due season... We shall reap. And then he adds another condition. What is the last part, Mikey? Last four words. If we don't quit, if we faint not. Don't blow what God's been doing in your life and the rewards that God has for you with a bad attitude or with quitting or with backsliding. The hardest thing for a pastor is to know people are struggling and not be able to help them because I know how the devil wants to get them to quit. Seek the best rewards. It is okay to want to hear Jesus say, well done, Greg, good and faithful servant. What does it say in Philippians? Go to the right, go to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Three thirteen, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not gotten what I'm reaching for. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and re- look at this, reaching forth in the things that are before. Those are better. The past is not the good old days. Something ahead of me is better. And I press toward the mark for the what? There's a prize. There's an award. There's a reward. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Whatever ministry you get into, ask God, God, is this where you want me? Then it's your calling. Find the prize there. Desire the best rewards. You can, you can put 80 hours a week into your job and it will count to nothing for eternity. Amen. You can invest in every market, in gold, in, gold, in bitcoins. You can, you can be more wealthy than, than Bill Gates or anybody else, and it will all perish. Do you realize Christians get to have rewards that will never fade if they faint not? It all comes in due season. Father, we bow in prayer. Asking you to change our minds. That's what repentance is. Change our minds so that our lives can follow about what we're getting into. We're not 
getting into a ministry because it's going to make our life so much better. We're getting into a ministry because it's what you want us to do. And we're deciding that the most important thing is not the ministry, is not teaching, not driving a bus, not anything except spending time with you, staying close to you, and nothing forces me to spend time and depend upon you like a ministry. <laughs> it keeps me on my knees. So Lord, these six things are kind of just really powerful if we could remember them and if we would decide, Lord, if nothing else, I want to I wanna stay the course. I don't want to finish my course. I want to do something that matters, but I want to do it faithfully. I don't want to just start and quit. I just don't, I don't want to blow it. I don't want anything except to please you. Help me to be a faithful servant. Because you gave me the best teacher ever. You gave me Jesus. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.